It was a pitch-dark night, and we were out for a walk. Suddenly, a bright white light came from the train tracks. It was getting closer and closer before it reached the woods and suddenly faded away in the distance. This story, told by hundreds of witnesses, sounds quite normal, until you find out those train tracks have long been abandoned and torn out. The last train that could have been the source of light had departed many years ago. The mysterious ghost train became the main site of St. Louis, a little village in the Canadian province of Saskatchewan. There are just around 400 people living there, and hundreds visited to see the St. Louis light. It was featured in books and online, and was on TV shows like Unsolved Mysteries. For decades, no one could explain what it really was. Some people spotted a white light. Others said they'd seen a red one. An urban legend explained the red light was a lantern carried by a ghost of a train conductor who had lost his life one night examining the tracks. Scientists tried to debunk both ghost-involving theories, but failed. Then, two high school students from northern Saskatchewan decided to jump in. They first witnessed the ghost train on a road trip to St. Louis. One of the girls said it must have been car headlights, but she needed evidence to prove that. Together with her friend, she decided to find an answer and make it their science fair project. They made several field trips to St. Louis for research. The young Ghostbusters used a detailed map, a compass, and a GPS system, which was pretty rare back in 2001. The girls found the location from where the ghost light was seen best of all. Then, they drew a straight line on the map to where the light was coming from and marked all roads next to or on the line. One of the girl's father agreed to help them. He parked his car at various locations near the lines and flashed his headlights. The girls didn't see them, as all the places seemed to be too low. Finally, they found a short hilltop highway stretch. For 20 minutes, the dad was flashing his lights on and off. And every time the lights went on, the girls could spot the ghost train. When he turned the car around, they saw the mysterious red light as well. The spot was rather far away from the track, so it was possible to see it thanks to diffraction. The light passed through a little opening, maybe the trees, and became larger. The smart girls received gold medals at the science fair for their project. Ten years later, a similar story happened in Anson, Texas. Each night, the locals noticed a mysterious light at one spot of the highway. They called it Anson Light and believed it was a mother with a lantern searching for her son. He'd disappeared in a snowstorm a long time ago. His mom went looking for him and never came back either. A group of students didn't believe in this beautiful story and decided to find the source of light with their iPhones. They followed Google Maps down the dirt road to a highway that they thought to be the light source. Halfway to the light, it was already clear it was really coming from cars and not a mother with a lantern. It's easy to be a Ghostbuster outside with your friends, but what if you had a ghost in your own home? This is what happened to a family who moved into an old house in 1921. The house was huge, with gas lights, no electricity, and many passageways. Just a classic movie haunted house. One morning, the lady who went down in records as Mrs. H heard footsteps over her head when she was home alone. She rushed upstairs and found an empty room. 
She checked every room and also looked one floor up. It was all empty. Then, she started hearing strange noises when she was in bed at night. It sounded like someone was moving furniture and china and sighed in the silence. Whatever was haunting the family was getting braver and braver. It followed them along the halls. It felt like it was about to approach them and come into contact. One of the children of Mrs. H once ran into her room and asked why she was calling him. She said it must have been the wind, but the child was positive it was someone's voice. The plants didn't live long in that house. Finally, the scariest thing happened. Mrs. H woke up one night and clearly saw a man and a woman in her room. She had to stop it all somehow, so she asked her brother-in-law for help. He did his research and suggested it could be a carbon monoxide leak. This colorless, odorless, and tasteless gas had caused similar visions in other people. When they checked the gas, they found the gas was coming out of the furnace and into the room instead of going out through the chimney. It gave the family headaches, hallucinations, dizziness, and other unpleasant symptoms. Some ghosts leave fingerprints behind, or so says the San Antonio legend. According to it, in 1938, a school bus was driving through a rough snowstorm and got stuck on the train tracks. When the train crew saw the bus, they did their best to stop, but it was impossible to avoid the collision. No one in the bus had survived in that accident, and ever since, the ghosts of those people are protecting others from the same fate. Hundreds of people have visited the spot ever since to play with destiny. They leave the car in neutral on so-called ghost tracks and wait for the ghosts to come and help them out. Some people put baby powder on their cars to have fingerprints as evidence. And they do see the fingerprints once they get out of the car. Turns out there's a logical explanation for this one as well. There's an incline on the tracks, so when the car moves a bit, you can see your own fingerprints in baby powder. And the original story that inspired the legend didn't even happen in San Antonio, but in Salt Lake City, Utah. Something unexplainable was happening on the campus of Coventry University in England. Whoever visited the 14th century cellar ran out of it in fear. They said they'd seen a ghost of a woman. One lecturer at the school, who was also a part-time ghostbuster, decided to debunk the mystery. He was once working at his lab when he felt the presence of someone else. He was brave enough to do research in the cellar and found out the reason for all this madness was what he called the fear frequency. The levels of sound frequency in the cellar were so high that they made people see optical illusions, feel anxiety, and get chills down the spine. A similar effect makes you hear humming of a glass when you're running a damp finger on it. A small village of Kalachi in Kazakhstan has become home to a unique mysterious sickness nicknamed the Sleep Hollow. Back in 2013, the first villagers got affected by it. They were doing their regular routine, biking, going to work, or chatting with friends, when suddenly they'd fall asleep. It all looked similar, slurred speech, lightheadedness, and then, boom! Some of them only woke up after six days of loud snoring. And when they did, they didn't remember anything that happened to them and experienced weakness and headaches. 
The Sleeping Beauty-style sickness affected people of all ages, including kids and even a cat named Marquise. Its owner said the cat started attacking walls, furniture, and the family dog. Then it dozed off and was snoring like a human for hours. More than 150 people got the sleep hollow in three years. Doctors and sleep disorder experts struggled to find a solution. A lot of people blamed possible radiation from nearby uranium mines. Kazakhstan's doctors checked over 7,000 homes, but found the radiation levels weren't high enough to cause it. They also checked water supply in the area for heavy metals and bacteria, and it was all right as well. Then, the former head of the uranium mine suggested the gas was seeping through the ground. Scientists tested this theory, and it turned out to be the answer. The dangerous gas was in the air, and it took down the amount of oxygen, making people fall asleep. Families started moving out one by one from that sleepy hollow as soon as the mystery had been solved. They say this place is swarming with money. It's been stored there for centuries, but no one managed to take it away from this island. Treasure hunters have been bewitched with this place since 1795. Many people have tried their luck looking for the treasure that could be hidden there by the Spanish pirates or even by the Knights Templar. But today, it's impossible to get there, as it's a private place. So all you can do is book an ocean tour around this island. Otherwise, you can take a peek at it in a TV reality show starring the Legina brothers, Rick and Marty, who are a team of enthusiasts looking for the treasures of Oak Island in Nova Scotia, Canada. Yeah, seems like there's no place where TV producers can't get to. One of the most famous discoveries out there was the so-called Money Pit. Despite the promising name, it wasn't full of money. Now we have to jump to 200 years ago. The Money Pit was first found by a 16-year-old kid in 1795. One day, Daniel McGuinness went fishing at Oak Island. He saw a tree there. Unsurprisingly, it was an oak and it had weird markings. They didn't seem to be natural, so Daniel decided to check the area. He then saw a sunken patch of ground and started digging immediately. His two friends helped him out, but instead of treasures, the guys only found logs placed underground at regular intervals. It looked like a place where someone could hide money or jewels, but nothing precious was found. However, there was something curious down that pit. Someone found a granite stone there, and it had an engraved inscription on it. There were many attempts to decode it, but most of them ended up in failure. There's one translation, though, and it says, 40 feet below, 2 million pounds are buried. Yeah, McGinnis and his friends should have dug harder. The next fun thing about the money pit is the coconut fiber found down there. They say that large amounts of this fiber were found at a depth of 60 feet. It may not surprise you, but I have to remind you of one thing. Oak Island is in Nova Scotia, Canada. Coconut trees do not grow there. The nearest one is about 1,500 miles from Nova Scotia, which makes it obvious that someone brought this fiber purposefully. Researchers came up with an idea that coconut fiber could have been used to make ropes and lower all the treasures down the pit. Next up, we have not one, but two mysteries. 
In the late 1800s, the Oak Island Treasure Company was thoroughly inspecting and excavating the island. Everyone believed something enormous was hidden there. These guys managed to drill 153 feet underground. That's like 15 stop signs stacked one on top of the other. You might have guessed that they didn't find pounds of gold and diamonds, but they found a manuscript. There's a theory claiming that it's one of Shakespeare's lost manuscripts. Some scientists believe that it was hidden there by the writer and scientist Francis Bacon, the true author of Shakespeare's works. Yeah, rumor has it it was Francis and not William who wrote all the plays and sonnets. But there's no proof it was really so. The Money Pit may be the most popular shaft on Oak Island, but it's not the only one, and it's not the first. Before the Money Pit discovery, treasure hunters were drilling at Smith's Cove. While damming there, they found a wooden piece. It was a U-shaped formation that had Roman numerals. After a more thorough inspection, the specialists realized it was supposedly dated to 1769. The Money Pit was discovered 26 years later. This fact created many speculations that this structure might have been part of the real shaft with treasures everyone was looking for. Now, look at this Templar coin. It wasn't the first discovery on the island, but it was crucial in some way. Even if it may not sound like a big deal today, in medieval times, those coins would amass an insane amount of wealth. They were typically stored in European fortresses. For the treasure hunters, this coin was a sure sign there was more to be found on the island. The logic is simple. If there's one coin of that kind, there must be something else. And they were right. It wasn't the only Templar discovery. On the southwest shore of the island, a crossbow bolt was found. Experts say it dates back to the 13th century. But once again, that wasn't something the treasure hunters were after. Some more coins were found on the island. Rick and Marty Legina retrieved this precious piece from a swamp. The coin is made of copper, and this time, it originated from Spain. When it was found, the Legina brothers could only see the number 8 engraved on it. But later on, some experts studied this coin and claimed it was made sometime around the 17th century. They managed to clean it well and saw the date 1652 engraved on the back of this coin. There's a theory stating that Spanish explorers found some treasure, but hid it instead of taking it to the king. So maybe this coin just dropped out of the chest full of coins and jewels and is part of the treasure everyone was after. Or someone could have accidentally lost it while looking for the treasure. Who knows? One more famous treasure hunter is Gary Drayton. Gary and his team, together with Rick Legina, came across two coins while metal detecting the island. Those were 17th century King Charles II Britannia coins. One of them had a very clear inscription on it, stating that the coin was minted back in 1771. Another swamp treasure of possibly Spanish origin is also here. This time, it's a silver ring. A specialist studied it closely and reported that it had been repaired twice. The ring was once made bigger, and it was also made smaller ones. It's decorated with a floral design, which was popular in Europe in the 1730s. Among all the other curious things, Rick and Marty Legina found a silver button at Isaac Point. The button's pretty old. It supposedly dates back to the middle of the 18th century, and the notorious money pit was discovered later. This is why it wasn't a big deal of a find. 
it could simply belong to some farmer peacefully raising livestock on the island. There's no official record of any chest full of gems and coins found on Oak Island, but enthusiasts did find some jewels there. First off, the team found a brooch with a magnificent red gem. They mistakenly thought it was a ruby, but a professional gemologist stated it was a garnet. The piece was made of silver, and it's pretty old. Experts believe it was made around the 15 or 1600s. Another brooch they found didn't have any gems on it, but it had an intricate design. It's a brooch with a leaf design and an ornate rope. There are 13 branches of the leaf, which instantly created more mystery to the whole treasure hunting. First off, there's a carving with a 13-branched tree on a rock on the north shore of this island. What's more, many people believe that the number 13 is important to the Knights Templar. The enthusiasts also found a brooch not far away from the place where Daniel McGuinness, the guy who found the money pit, lived. The brooch was shown to a professional gemologist, Charles Luton Brain. He had to break it to the team that there were no gems adorning this piece of jewelry. In fact, the stone that seemed to be a gem was just a piece of glass. It was processed using a special technique, though, so it was leaded glass. The enthusiasts decided to study the brooch even more and found out that part of the brooch was made of gold. The specialists claim that the brooch dates back to the 14th century. Was it the treasure everyone was looking for? Picture a ghost town. Abandoned buildings covered in graffiti, rusting remains of cars, cracks in the roads. And now add to that a thick blanket of black smoke coming from under the ground. And the ground itself is hot to the touch. You're entering Centralia, Pennsylvania. Centralia used to be a lively place during the 1800s and up to the 1960s. Its rich coal mines attracted a lot of people to work and live there. But in 1962, one of those mines accidentally caught fire, which started to spread underground. Coal is a slowly burning fuel, so the citizens continued to live peacefully for almost another two decades until the fire began to undermine the town. One of the worst accidents was when a giant sinkhole appeared out of nowhere in the backyard of a house in Centralia. Luckily, no one was hurt, but after that, people started leaving the place. In the following 30 years, almost everyone moved out, though not all. As of 2020, five people still live there. But other than that, Centralia is by all means a ghost town, and crumbling abandoned buildings and cracked roads are just a minor part of it. The most disturbing thing about this place is the smoke billowing from under the ground through cracks. The fires down below are still raging, heating up the surface and slowly destroying the remains of the town. In fact, this was what inspired the famous fictional town of Silent Hill. The blaze is estimated to last for another 250 years, and by that time, there will be nothing but scorched wasteland in the area. If you're afraid of bugs, then this place will probably be your worst nightmare. The Gomantong Caves in Malaysia could be one of the most picturesque places in the world, if not for their dwellers. First off, there are bats. Over 2 million of these animals live in the vast expanses of the caves. They're easily scared, but I guess you don't want that. Millions of winged horrors flying at you in a panic aren't to be taken lightly. Secondly, there are cockroaches. And while the number of bats is more or less determined, the roaches swarming the floors and walls of the caves are unaccountable. 
There are so many of them that you won't be able to make a single step without a dozen of these creepers crawling up your legs. And finally, if you manage not to scream from the cockroaches and wake up hordes of bats, you might be rewarded with other wonderful dwellers of the caves. Those include snakes, scorpions, and giant venomous centipedes. Charming. Still, the caves are open to the public, and there are lots of people who visit this place. Right in the middle of nowhere in the empty wastelands of the Karakum Desert in Central Asia, there's a great hole in the ground that burns forever. It's called the Darvaza Gas Crater, and it's an actual pit, broad and deep, that has been ablaze for over half a century now. The locals call it the gate to the underworld, and the view is indeed frightening. There is no way to extinguish the flames, and scientists believe the crater will keep burning for centuries on end. The pit apparently appeared in 1971, when a group of engineers scouted the area and thought they stumbled upon an oil deposit. It turned out to be a natural gas pocket, though. And when the drilling rig started working on the site, the ground collapsed. The engineers were afraid that the poisonous gas might put nearby towns in danger, so they thought it best to set it on fire and let it burn out in a few weeks. But as we can see, the blaze is still going strong. The crater has since become a popular tourist attraction, but despite that, it still poses some danger, so efforts are being made to finally extinguish the gates of the underworld. Imagine seeing an insanely venomous snake right next to your foot. Terrifying enough, huh? And now, multiply that experience by a couple thousand times, when no matter where you try to run, there are similar snakes all around. That's Snake Island for you, and the name couldn't describe it better. The island is located not far from the coast of Brazil, and is home to thousands of golden lancehead vipers. About 11,000 years ago, the sea levels rose and separated the island from the mainland, and lots of lancehead vipers became trapped on it. Their mainland siblings are venomous as well, but not as much. The golden variety had to evolve to survive, and oh, they did. Since there's not so many land animals for the vipers to hunt, they adapted to hunting birds instead. And for their venom to be effective, it had to be instant. So, golden lanceheads developed a venom that is five times more potent than the regular variety. This helped the snakes thrive, and now there are one to five vipers per square meter of the island. It is considered so dangerous that Brazil banned all visitors, like someone would really want to go there. Lost in the woods at night, you suddenly stumble upon a human figure. Relieved, you touch their shoulder to ask for directions, but it's hard as stone and covered in moss. And then you look into the face of the person and your mouth opens in horror. It's anything but human. My advice would be not to wander around Southeast Finland at night if you don't want a shocking experience because it's here that a renowned Finnish sculptor made his eerie sculpture garden in his own backyard. The garden's main exhibition consists of 200 human figures in various yoga poses. But as you walk around, you may come across more sinister-looking works. Such as cloaked figures with its arms stretched forward and deep black gaps for eyes. Adding to the creepiness are real human teeth in the mouths of some statues. The garden itself appeared because the sculptor was a recluse and didn't want to leave his home. And when asked to lend some of his sculptures to museums, he would say he needed to ask them if they wanted to. It seems they never did, though. Creepy statues are eerie enough, but how about creepy dolls? If you ever find yourself in Japan and want to give yourself some chills down the spine, make sure to visit Nagoro. It's a tiny village in the south of the country. 
driving by its houses and yards, you will see villagers sitting on their porches or tending to their gardens. Nothing special. Until you realize they're not moving and never will because they're life-sized dolls. One of the local residents turned her hometown in 2002 and made a hobby of creating stuffed scarecrows in gardens and fields. But then it turned from a practical thing into a sort of memorial job. Whenever any of her neighbors left the village or passed away, she would make a life-size doll in their image. She made them as she remembered them best, so all her dolls are doing something normal people would. They're sitting, standing, lying on the ground, and there are even full classrooms of dolls in the local school. But probably the eeriest thing about this installation is that the human population of Nagoro is less than 30 people, and the scarecrows outnumber the living dwellers more than 10 to 1. There are over 350 dolls in the village now. As their maker remembers, there were around 300 people living in Nagoro when she was a child. And now, for 20 years, she has been commemorating all of them. About 3,000 visitors come to Nagoro every year, and many of them return in the following years as well. The village is pretty hard to reach because it's located on one of the less traveled islands of Japan, and the nearest train station is an hour away. But that doesn't stop the tourists who want to see the wonderfully creepy scarecrows with their own eyes.